welcome back to the Creative for More podcast. I'm Morgan White. Thank you for joining. In continuation of the series, Where Are They Now? I am talking to another friend from my original World Race squad. Her name is Victoria. We call her Vix for short. And she is living out in Manhattan. Not New York City though. I'm talking about the state of Kansas. She lives in Manhattan, Kansas. Basically the same thing. All right, here's the show. Where are they now? How have you been? Good. Where are you working right now? I am working for K-State. I work in receiving for the facilities department. So basically the maintenance guys have to special order parts and whatnot that they need. And I open all the boxes when they come in and I check them into our system. And then they get an email and then they come pick their stuff up. Oh. And if they don't, I start emailing them in a couple of days and say, hey, come get your stuff. It's oh taking gosh. up space in my room. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Is this like 40 hours a week? Yeah, it's Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. Wow. Just a pretty like regular job schedule. Which I needed after my first job. I, I was about to say, do you like that? Is that something you were wanting? Um, My schedule? Well, okay. So when I first got back, I was working for the Bluestem Girl restaurant as a cook and my schedule was just so all over the place but it was also becoming a really high stress job to me Hmm. as much as I loved some of the people I worked with some of the people were kind of lazy and didn't do their job dang so it kind of became high stress to me um and my schedule was just all over the place and because it was such a high stress job for my mental health to be decent I couldn't take two days off in a row And so it just got really hard. Now, before we talk too much more about your present and current situation, I want to go all the way back to the race for a moment. Okay. Um, Now that it's been a year since we've been back, which, of course, is crazy. um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if it feels like it's been a year to you. I think it has for me. I feel like a lot has happened within that year. But Uh nonetheless, it's just kind of crazy to think about. To me, it feels like it's been so long ago and yet just yesterday yeah yeah like once a memory is brought up thankfully I've got Melissa down the hallway and so sometimes we'll just talk about things you know and it will just take me right back and everything's so Uh crystal clear it feels so normal to be talking about those things but then like her family who might be in the same room as us they have no idea what we're talking about you Uh know I mean they have ideas but it's like you don't know unless you were there but all right I want I guess I just want to ask you, now that some time has passed, I feel like some things, you know, we'll never really see the full fruit of it, you know, until later down the road. It could take a few years or, I don't know, once you like start meeting more people or your life is just progressing a bit more, then you'll be like, oh yeah, like this thing from the race, whatever. But just currently where you are, what do you think sticks out from the race for you personally of like, this is a lesson I learned, or this is what God was definitely trying to do in my life during that year. Like what really sticks out? So I kind of have three. Uh, I mean, leading into the race, I was focused a lot on storytelling because I just really like, I love the process of writing and reading. Like Mm. I'll dive into that more later when we're talking specifically about storytelling, but storytelling was a huge thing for me on the race. Mm. Um, And alongside that, I would say community and leadership. I think my church here in Manhattan is really stepping into a new season of 
really digging into missional community and what that looks like. And because we lived that on the race, like it's prepped me to help lead that a little more, I think. Wow. Um, so that's like a lot of new things going on. But I think even just like in the house that I'm now living in, just like I lived with a family when I first got home. And so now having people closer to my age living with me, like we can just sit and talk about the Bible and things and it's not weird. And we can like, I don't know, just like hear each other out. Yeah. You're like all in a similar stage of life. Yeah. I'm curious more about what you're doing with your church too, because I know we were talking the other day and you said, it seems like you're going to be taking on some more responsibility with some of that stuff with storytelling and everything. Yeah. Shoot. I guess it's been about a month ago. Our pastor, Josh, um, wanted to meet to talk about me taking over social media stuff. And so social media is something that I think is really bittersweet. I think yeah. obviously we can get very consumed by it and we can play the comparison game on there and a million other things. But I also think there's this aspect of simple storytelling that's huge. And I think a lot of people are catching on to that more and more. But, um, yeah, I really, I debated for a while because I was like, I don't know if this is taking on too much. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is like something else I should be stepping into because I did graphic design for a pretty long time before the race in different seasons and that's what I majored in. And I was just like, I don't have the creative capacity to do this right now, I don't think. But the more I thought about it, the more the storytelling aspect drew me into it. And so we met again like a week or two later and I accepted doing that. And I told Josh, he's like, gave me the lowdown on everything. And he was like, well, do you have any questions, concerns or that? And I was like, I don't want to focus on the design aspect necessarily of this. I said, I really want to focus on storytelling because that's where people get connected and that's where people just like come alive because Hmm. somebody tells their story and they're like, Oh yeah, me too. And so um, the beauty of like the branding and the season where it's very simple and it's more photography based, which I think is good. I think a lot of things can get over designed and I think um, having that minimal design aspect along with the storytelling, because the picture can draw you in and then you read. Sometimes you get sucked into reading these (laughs) stories on Instagram that are paragraphs long right but um yeah so I I just started that and eventually that will grow into a team and not just me but so yeah I'm excited for that I'm excited to dive into storytelling more and um focusing on photography a little more it's it's different to me than design yeah it's really important but I think there's this other like creative outlet coinciding with with storytelling that I think is really a cool opportunity cool I feel like you're going to be a great fit for that position I know we talked about that earlier but um I would I think I would like to go ahead and talk about the storytelling side of things now because I mean like you said a second ago there is so much about 
communicating information through story draws people in because it's relatable mm-hmm. and they're able to identify with the story and be like oh i've kind of experienced something like that or that's something i have never experienced but like i relate to that feeling that you have mm-hmm. and now with my current setup in texas the original <laughs> reason why i had reached out to you of course about storytelling in general for context for people listening i had reached out to vix and i was like i think <laughs> i could just use a good FaceTime call or conversation, anything, and just hear you talk about why you love storytelling so much and like the the meaning behind everything. And this, like you said, it kind of it covers a wide variety of things, whether it's photography, video, podcasting like this, writing and blogs. But with my current job in uh, the Houston area, I'm helping this nonprofit tell their story to help connect the community and draw people in so that they either want to give time and be like a volunteer, they want to give money and be a donor, or they just want to follow along. Uh, Maybe they learn something about substandard housing or about poverty in general. And so I, for the next year, I'm just going to try to help um, convey this vision, this message and stuff to like a random Texas County or to whoever wants to follow along, I guess. But um, I can already see potential for me to hit spots of like, is what I'm doing actually making a difference in this organization one or in this area two? Like, is what I'm doing on my little computer, on my phone, the pictures that I'm taking, the stuff I'm trying to write up, is it actually making a difference? And yeah, I think you're a great person to talk about that with. So um, yeah, uh, indulge me a little, if you will. <laughs> I just want to know, like, what kind of gets you going for all of that stuff? Like, what is it that really drives you? So I've always been a pretty huge fan of Donald Miller. You and I have talked about him as an author before. I yeah. think he I think he just writes like he's having a conversation with somebody. And obviously, there's still editing and so much time that goes into that. But I first read his book blue leg jazz i think when i was in college at k-state probably Mm. my junior or senior year and it just really struck me like i hadn't i don't think i'd really read anything like it before like i felt like i just knew this whole guy's life and just like sat across from him and had coffee while i read it like it was just it was a very different way of telling a story to me and it was just so relatable um And so then a couple of years later, Jamie Twerkowski, who founded a nonprofit called To Write Love on Her Arms, released a book called If You Feel Too Much. And it's it's a different kind of writing because this is more of a collection of like blogs and letters and emails he sent to friends. Mm-hmm. And it was the same style of writing and plot twist. Donald Miller wrote the intro for it. Oh, my gosh. Friends with him. And I remember reading this and there's this one, basically this nonprofit launched because Jamie was brave enough to write a story about this girl he helped who struggled with drug addiction. And um, essentially he wrote this story and put it on MySpace, which dates how old (laughs) the organization is. Yeah, It started in 2007 um, or 2006. Um, but it basically launched off of this blog that he posted on MySpace and Hmm. they started fundraising to help her, um, pay for rehab. 
And before he knew it, it was just this growing, growing online community. And it was all related back to the story. And so I was like, even back then, so I probably read that book in like, I don't know, 2013, 2014. Hmm. Um, Well, probably later than that, even. I don't know. Anyway, um, after I read that, there was just something about storytelling that stuck out to me because I was like, this guy has built this huge nonprofit and helps all these people focusing on mental health. Um, but he used storytelling and had no idea that it was going to be this huge kind of overnight success. Wow. Um, and he had his dream job when he started this organization. Like he, he was working for the surf industry um, job he'd always wanted. And he quit it to go with this nonprofit that he had started. Jeez. Um, but it all started with a story. Mm-hmm. And I mean... Obviously, like, relating back to the Bible, it's all story. Yeah. It's all, true. I mean, it's, it's letters of encouragement. And in a way, the, if you feel too much book is like a very modern, I don't want to compare it to the Bible, but in a way, it's kind of like the New Testament in some ways. Yeah. It's Jamie writing to his friends and writing about his friends. And it's kind of similar to Paul's letters. Yeah. It's that same type of format. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really that book launched me into like wanting to write more. Um, and then a couple years after I read that book for the first time, I applied for the race. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and then we had to blog every week. Yeah. Did we you? The race. I did. Okay. I I actually may have even surpassed that by oh. just about some months. Oh my gosh. Um, because I don't know, there were just it's like you want to tell every single story from the field, but there's no way to tell every single story from the field. Yeah. Um, and I think I just had a lot of leading up to the race from when I got accepted to when we even went to training camp. I just had a lot of life happening. I had a lot of hard things happen. Hmm. Um, and I just wanted to share that with my donors, with like with squad mates. And I mean, I don't know. I I think I think writing allows people for me writing allows people to know who I am. But also sometimes hard things happen and you just need to know that you're not alone in them. And so I think sharing the hard things through storytelling actually releases other people to get healing. Mm, wow. Because they continually think that they're the only one in that. Yeah they're never going to be able to get healing from it. If they hear you share your story and what you're struggling with, and it's similar to theirs, they're like, oh, I'm not the only one. Yeah. I think you're so right, too, that sometimes whenever we're kind of in the creative process, we forget that it's a two-way street. Like, it is doing something for us as we as we release the story, as we release the words, and we're writing it down, we're putting it on paper, whatever. And like that in itself is like a healing experience and it's a way to document it maybe and refer back to it later. But it is also oftentimes doing something for the reader, like informing them, giving them something yeah, that they can feel like they relate to be like, this person understands what I'm going through. That's amazing to know I'm not alone. Um, It's both of that, like so often. Yeah, for sure. And also like even thinking back on when I was applying for the race, I read a girl's a friend of mine who was already an alumni, he got back a little over a year before we left. Um, 
I got coffee with him and a couple of weeks later he shared this girl's blog with me. Her name is Juliana. She's from Colorado. Um, he sent me this blog and said, Hey, I really think this blog will help you navigate some things that you've been through. Mm-hmm. And I proceeded to read this blog and I was just completely dumbfounded. I was like babysitting for a friend of mine while I was reading it. The kids were in bed and I was just like crying in the living room reading this blog. Wow. And so that blog that I read not only allowed me to get healing, but was a springboard for me to apply to go on the race. Oh my gosh. That so was just like super wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So like not only does it allow people to get healing, but it can also be the start of an action step for someone else. Oh, that's so cool. Do you think, okay, so like you said, you were very consistent with your blogs, which I think is amazing because if anybody is not a part of the world race world, you might not realize that writing blogs <laughs> is kind of notorious, this notorious idea for being like annoying or like a have to for a lot of people. There's plenty who like want to do it. And I think even the squad that I went back to alumni lead, they had a much uh-huh. more positive view about it than we did. But our squad also just hated doing most things that we like were forced to do, you know? It's like true. if it was watching journey markers, watching these videos and then talking uh, about it together. Journey markers. <laughs> or writing blogs both of these things are good things but it's just like it made very good (laughs) yeah it's like it made most people just go do we have to Uh um so the fact that you were consistent with it and I think had a good attitude about it already says a lot um were there other forms of storytelling for you um that you tried on your race that you think also made a difference for yourself or for others so I really wanted to do vlogs but I just really couldn't get into it to me like I love doing graphic design type stuff Mm -hmm. but video editing to me is like a whole nother ball game and I feel like it just sucks life out of me (laughs) yeah um because I feel like it's so time consuming to do it really really well man it really Um, is (laughs) and so like I started I started like two different vlogs and I never finished either of them Hmm. Um, there was one time when we were in South Africa, Krista was on my team. Gosh. And she let us take over her vlogs for the month. Oh my gosh. So each week, so it would have been that month and I think Nicaragua too. Wow. So um, we actually, we recorded all of the footage for our own vlog and then we put it all together on her iPad and it was actually really fun and not that time consuming. But I think because I was doing it for someone else, yes. it had a little bit different effect for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was really cool to get to do that. And I wish I would have done that more. But I think with with blogging each week, I feel like there was always one story that was worth telling. Hmm. But with blogging, I felt like I would have always made it too long. Yeah. If you're doing v- different video, it's easier to tell one story through writing I think than to go over like an entire week in a vlog yeah and some people were better about the format like shout out to Krista um she was amazing at doing what she did with the vlogs same with Madison I think Madison really mastered the art of vlogging I think for some people 
and even people who didn't do full-on vlogs like they did I think that there were others on the squad who would just hop on their phone take like a two-minute video post it to social media boom it was like a Uh mini vlog and that was like their form of sitting down and writing a blog like you would do yeah and to each their own but I agree if you want to make like this beautiful cinematic little five minute vlog especially if it involves like you talking which is kind of the point of the vlog I made a couple of like fun kind of casual videos that did not involve me talking but it was just like (laughs) scenes from around us you know that's also another thing but if you're sitting in front of the camera and you're talking and you're integrating that into other little video clips and you're narrating and all the things oh my gosh it is so well and like it was just so funny to me because I would watch Connor Galls, who was yeah. on another squad that launched with us, and I was always just like, "Do you sleep at all?" Because right. Like, I- <laughs> so intricate. So good at what he does, but yes. I was like, "Bro, do you even do you even sleep? Are you yeah. even a Like, right? And maybe they just hit that stride, they get their groove, and then it doesn't take too long. But I think for some too, even like the masters. They just enjoy that process. So even if it takes longer than normal, they're just like, yeah, it's worth it. I like it. It's a craft. Yeah, I agree. Man. Wow. Well, I I really do feel like storytelling in general, I mean, that's such a cliche, I think, expression now. I know for me personally, but like that is, it encapsulates so much of what we talk about. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I'm sitting here in my room and I look over at this wall of photos that I have And for me, that was such a huge outlet of storytelling for me on the race was to capture what was around us, the things that we were seeing, the people, whatever it was. But it was a way of like, now I can look at each photo and remember distinctly what that memory was or like what we did that day, stuff like that. And I think for other people looking at them, it kind of, I love visuals. So anything like a video or a, or a photo it just kind of brings people into it and they I want it to feel like they're there which is also why I love taking photos of like very average things because it's so relatable and so the way that you talk about writing and stuff it's like yeah you want to draw people in so that they can relate to it and there's something so primal about wanting to feel understood mm-hmm. how do you feel like you have integrated this stuff into your life back in the states like obviously you're going to be helping with social media with your church which again super cool do you feel like there's stuff that you've been doing maybe not necessarily on the daily but just on the regular in your own life yeah i think a lot of this first year back uh the first like third of it was kind of a total train wreck yeah um, which i'll go into later I'm yeah sure. but sure. i think I think I had to make a lot. This is like no one should ever have to do this. But I feel like a lot of people told me to take time off before I tried to go back to normal life, which Mm -hmm. I ignored because I was like, no, I need to just dive headfirst into everything. Yeah, dumb. That's (laughs) like the dumbest thing for my personality type to try to do. But I tried to do it. And so the first like, I don't know, four or five, probably four months I was back. I was a train wreck. No one knew it. I was real good at hiding it. Dang. I was honest with maybe three or four people about where I was really at. It's like people knew I wasn't like hiding behind it. But there were definitely a lot of people who didn't necessarily know me well. Yeah. Because they hadn't met me prior to going on the race. But um, yeah. So that first like little bit that I was back. 
I didn't do a lot. I didn't really write. I didn't hardly write blogs when I got back because I just felt like there was so much going on. I couldn't hardly keep my head above water. Hmm. And even journaling, like I was looking back in my journal this morning and I was like, dang, I really didn't write like at all. Wow. That first couple months back. And I think it was also just the pace of life I was at because I was working in a kitchen on the line. And so I was just like full steam ahead all the time, it seemed like. So when I got home, I didn't really want to do anything. Yeah. And I was like trying to start some plans that I'd made when I was coming off the field and those like I just had no motivation to do it and I don't know I think I needed to take time off and I couldn't take time off (laughs) wow it's kind of what happened and so then probably around my birthday in February Hmm. I slowly started posting more stuff on social I started posting stuff from a year ago on the field and I think that really started helping the people I was hanging out with and was around. It just helped them to see where I had been and struggles I was still having with free entry. And I really had several people rally around me and be like, dude, I didn't, I didn't know. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to help. So I just kind of let you do your thing when you got back. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so slowly started doing more stuff on social. I kind of went back and forth writing a couple blogs here and there, but not very often because I just felt like I was trying to process so much. Mm-hmm. And I'm somebody that like, I don't love the process of processing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I'm such a verbal processor. Oh, yeah. And, and it was like, almost all of my really good friends from the squad went back out to the field almost immediately. Mm, Yeah. And so I felt like I couldn't just call anybody because everybody was all over the planet. Wow. Um, And so that made it harder too, because then people who know what I've been through, like I can't just call them. Yeah. And so it was, I think God was really trying to get me to sit down and process with him, but I was refusing to do it. When I got back, I felt like no one knew me here anymore because, Mm -hmm. like, you do change so much on the race. So much. And it's impossible to know someone exactly the way you knew them before they left. And there was just, like, I was obviously super overwhelmed. But on top of that, like, there's just this longing for being intimately known because you you build obviously you're with your squad for a year yeah like you build these super intimate relationships with people and they know you inside and out and you get back and all of a sudden you're like what the frick am I doing yeah. here and so I started filling that with a lot of just super super unhealthy stuff like I probably drank more whiskey the first six or eight weeks I was home than I had in the last like three years combined oh my gosh um and there was a guy that I was hanging out with that was just super unhealthy he was not a believer and didn't really care about me as a human and there were a lot of nights that a lot of 
not great things could have gone down, but I really, I really, really feel like God just protected me through a lot of that. Hmm. And it would have been easy to just like give in and let, I mean, at the end of the day, it was a longing for intimacy. Yeah. And I had someone who I thought was willing to like listen to me and be there for me and blah, 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 who is also my drinking buddy. Not, Hmm. not really a great combo. Yeah. Um, And so I think too, like, just like knowing that you have people that you can reach out to when you're going through reentry is just like, it's huge and it totally changes how you walk through it. Yeah. Um, I know I talked to Amy a ton on Marco Polo when I was walking through that. Our squad leader. Yeah. (laughs) And I think the sweetest thing that happened through all of that was that no one told me what I was doing was wrong. Mm -hmm. No one said, hey, stop being stupid. No one said, hey, you're making really bad life choices. Everyone just said, like, if you need to talk, I'm here. And they just kind of let me walk through it. Yeah. Because people also think know me well enough that they were afraid that if they told me to stop, I was going to dive headfirst into it. Wow. I have this little rebel streak in me and like, I don't like being told no. Yeah. (laughs) And so, yeah, it was like, even when I was walking through that, like on the race, we talked so much about identity, especially the first couple months. And I think that got so ingrained in my head because even when I was like drinking and hanging out with this guy all the time, like even when I was talking to Amy about it, I'm like, this isn't who I am. I don't know why I'm doing this. Yeah. And she was like, you're right. It's not who you are. So maybe, I don't know, do something different. (laughs) (laughs) But even it's just so funny because you know when you're doing something wrong you Mm. know when you're doing something out of character and when you get so instilled in who you are on the race and you come home like most people probably from our squad acted out in one way or another when they got home yeah but they were also talking to each other and saying like calling each other higher it was kind of like feedback Mm -hmm. we were also calling each other higher and saying hey that's not who you are so like do something different do something that is who you are um but I think that was a really big part of me coming home too because like Hannah Green was kind of one of my go-tos when I was walking through that season and she repeatedly called me higher and was like yeah I've been struggling with that too don't do it yeah (laughs) okay great yeah that helps so much whenever the person can like identify with what you're walking through yeah I just that's something that's been really heavy on me that I like I wrote it in a blog recently mm-hmm. because i've backtracked and started doing a re-entry series hmm. um that's cool i only have one left on it are you still <laughs> using your world race blog yeah so what what would that url be it is oh shoot it's vicky pantle v-i-c-k-i-e p-a-n-t-l-e dot the world dot org i just recently like in the last month started a re-entry series because I I didn't necessarily want to write about re-entry when I was walking through re-entry because I feel like I needed space and time away from actually walking through it Hmm. to speak to it 
Yeah. And even tell that story because when you're in the middle of a story, it's hard to tell. Yeah, sure. Um, and so I've then since backtracked and started started opening up about what it was like for me. Yeah. And I just think, I mean, it goes full circle back to storytelling. It's it's being vulnerable enough to share the hard things and say like, hey, this is what I went through. Like, if you if you're going through this, you're not alone. Hmm. And if you've already walked through this, like you're also not alone in having walked through that already. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just really felt like that was something I needed to backtrack and go do. Yeah. So. It's like more reflective that way anyways. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Cause I think that's a really valuable addition to our conversation. Would you want to go back to any of the places that we went to? Yes. Where? <laughs> I and why okay (laughs) so I would go back to Thailand well I would go back to the Philippines just because I really loved where we where my team was okay um we were in oh you were we were in Tacloban City so we were on a different island than everyone yeah um I didn't love the heat but I really 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 loved the ministry team that we got to work with at kids international ministries it was just a really really sweet month i had a lot of like hard identity things going on that month but it was just like they loved us so so well wow so so well and i just really loved there were a lot of like high school girls that we got to work with there and they were just really kind and sweet and super cool all in all like the general ministry we're doing I just really loved it there. I wouldn't want to live there, but mm-hmm. I really loved it. You'd go back and visit. Yes. Okay. And kind of the same with Thailand. Um, I really loved Chiang Mai. I thought it was a really, really fun city. Yes. The um, coffee culture. Yes. Coffee culture everywhere. <laughs> um, I mean, there were like 20 coffee shops within a mile radius. It was of our- really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And so I really loved the people there, too. They were just really kind. Um, and I don't know. I just really liked the feel of Chiang Mai. It kind of reminded me of Kansas City in some ways. Interesting. Um, I don't even really know why, but kind of reminded me of like downtown Kansas City a little bit and the coffee culture there. (laughs) Um, yeah, I really loved Chiang Mai. So I would definitely go back there to visit. Cool. Um, South Africa. Lesotho I loved we were in the middle of nowhere in the mountains and I would go back I would literally jump a flight just to go watch the stars in Lesotho again gosh like and that was just again a really sweet month we did a lot of hiking because we did door-to-door stuff yeah Um, and our our hosts were just super super sweet I had (laughs) I woke up one morning and I was telling either Cody or Jacob about this dream that I had I had this dream that we were all on a school bus like our whole squad was on a school bus outside of Topeka Kansas <laughs> and we like stopped at this random place that was kind of like Spangles but it wasn't Spangles it was like this 1950s fast food kind of like in and out oh my gosh <laughs> and Cody bought me a chocolate milkshake and then we got on a got back on the bus and drove to my parents house but it wasn't my parents house <laughs> It was super weird, okay. but I was telling one of them about it the next morning, and our host, Peter, overheard me talking about it, 
and he went over to his wife and he was like we need to make them some hamburgers they're starting oh. to dream about hamburgers oh <laughs> and so this all of this unbeknownst to me and then like that night they made us they made us cheeseburgers that is so <laughs> sweet we were all like we were all like what and he was like Victoria was dreaming about cheeseburgers, so I just felt like we. Oh my god! Now were they good? They were so good. Good. Okay, because that's surprising. It was <laughs> honestly one of the best burgers I had the whole race. Oh my gosh, that's like the best yeah. thing I've ever heard. I love that they did that for you guys. Yeah, it was super sweet. Dang. You also said South Africa too, right? Yeah, I really loved the ministry we worked with in South Africa. It was kind of hard in a way because we were. We, the place we lived was beautiful. We worked with, um, Impact Africa. Oh, yeah. And did a lot of door-to-door in the squatter camps. And I loved the ministry that we got to do. And I loved the people we were doing ministry with. Would you explain Uh, what a squatter camp is? Yeah. So, we were outside of Johannesburg, which is a really big city in northern South Africa. Mm -hmm. Um, and squatter camps are kind of like the slums like they have little houses but they're they're pretty they're pretty rough Mm -hmm. um so kind of like the slum area but the people that we met there were so incredibly kind wow and they just like shared their lives with us like I remember Hannah Green and I were on a team together one day with one of the interns and this lady sat and talked to us for hours Mm -hmm. And then, like, had one of her daughters go in and get us soda and cookies. And we, like, sat around and just talked. Wow. And then one of them brought out these photo albums. And they were, like, showing us all these. It felt like I was in, like, my friend's living room growing up or something just with family. Like That's so cool. It was it was one of my favorite days of ministry. But Jeez. where we stayed at was really, really beautiful. It was, like... It used to be a bed and breakfast, and this ministry bought it, and that's where they host teams and stuff now. Beautiful property. Looked like something out of a Thomas Kincaid painting. <laughs> and, so specific. But, <laughs> but it was also kind of hard because we were there for a month, mm-hmm. and we could only really go into the city once a week. And we went – that was like a Friday night thing. We would always like go to a movie or go to dinner – um but it kind of got hard because then on the weekends we like had our free day and adventure day on the weekends but a lot of times we just stayed there because the city wasn't super super safe yeah and so we just didn't have a ton of opportunity to like go explore the city or anything which was kind of hard for me but Hmm. um it was a really sweet month if you had to Um, choose one place in latin america where would you go back costa rica really I knew you loved that ministry a <laughs> lot. Would you go back I, there and live for a season? Uh, we'll talk about that later. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> That's basically where I'm leading it with the next question. I want to know what you feel like God is working up in you for the future. So if you just want to merge okay. the two, I don't mind. Well, I would also go back to Columbia because I worked at an orphanage and I fell in love with all the kids. Beautiful. And it, yes. I cried literally half the bus ride to ecuador <sighs> poor cody was sitting by me and i was just streaming like <laughs> for hours it it killed me dang um but i so 
when I left Costa Rica, it was really, really hard. And I knew within three days of being in Costa Rica that I was going to get called back to Costa Rica. Oh my gosh. One of those because I things. Met, <laughs> I met our host and I had a conversation with him about discipleship. And in that conversation, I knew I was getting called back to Costa Rica. Why? What about it? Do you think like just their heart for it matched yours? So I really love people and Costa Ricans really love people well yeah. they love their communities they drink coffee at all hours of the day wow it would be like 9 p.m and we were working in a church and we'd be playing cards and the pastor's wife would come in and be like hey do you guys want coffee and oh. we're like it's 9 p.m she's like yeah do you want coffee and i'm like yes i have tears in my eyes just like thinking about how sweet and intentional they were yeah and so we only worked at that church for a week, but then we went out to our host property and worked in a garden. Oh my gosh. And we, it was so funny because people asked me what my favorite month of the race was. And I always go to Colombia or Costa Rica. And they were like, oh, were you like on the beach and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, we were literally smack dab in the middle of the country living on the side of a mountain. Wow. In a storage shed. In our Gosh. hammocks. Your guys' pictures were crazy. I know. I could totally see how that location was just beautiful, first of all. And, like, so... I mean, you guys... It looked like you were living in a jungle or something. But also yeah. how primitive it was really speaks to a lot, too, that you loved that and how simple it was, probably. It was just so funny because, like, we had a fully functioning bathroom that was just this, like, little shed. But, mm-hmm. I mean, there was a shower, there was a sink and a um a toilet and like it all had normal plumbing like it wasn't we didn't just have like an outhouse and bucket showers yeah um but i don't know like our host and i were just so much on the same page with discipleship and then later he starts telling me that he wants to start this discipleship school Hmm. or like this discipleship program and he wants it to be like nine months to a year and then um he (laughs) He, our last day there, he was like, I really want to meet with you guys and just, like, talk about your time here and blah, 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 and, like, kind of debrief or whatever. But what he didn't really tell us, or I don't remember him telling us, is that he wanted us to, like, cast vision on what this program was going to be like. Wow. And so we literally got to just sit down with Edgar and talk about what this program could be. Hmm. And what we would want it to look like if we were going to it. And it was just, I was like sitting there with tears in my eyes to have the conversation. Oh I'm just my like, gosh. What? Yeah. You're like, you like raise your hand and you're like, um, I think that <laughs> I should be here and this well, is no, where what, we take it. <laughs> what's even funnier is like we helped. So we helped our host move to a different house. Oh yeah. But I was riding with him somewhere and he was talking about the stuff discipleship school and i was like edgar this is literally everything i've ever wanted in my life oh my gosh i was like i feel the exact same way about discipleship and i think it needs to be taught the same exact way you're thinking about teaching it and he was like well god will bring you back when you need to come back and then our very last night there we were having dinner at his apartment and um he was just like oh my gosh edgar's such a prophet and he was like casually prophesying over these these huge things over each of us wow 
so we kind of went around the room and talked to like each person like we were all sitting there but was like prophesying over each person and he got to me and he just goes vix you'll be back oh my gosh (laughs) what (laughs) what you just start crying (laughs) i mean basically (laughs) and it was just so wild like the everything lined up so perfect it's like the culture there they care about people so much yeah so much and they're so intentional with people and they love it's like their whole community is not their family it's like it's like their whole community is their family it's not just like their immediate family is their family yeah like they know everyone and that's their family like their whole community acts like that and it was just a really really it was just a really sweet month. I mean, I slept in a hammock, but that was also like some of the best nights of sleep I got the entire race. Wow. And I don't know. There was just something about it mm-hmm. that it felt like home. And like we went to the beach one weekend to celebrate Caitlin's birthday. Oh, yeah. That first weekend we were there. And that was really sweet. And then I don't know. It was just funny because like I was sitting there doing my devotional one morning and I started making this playlist and I didn't know what to call it but it was all of these songs that like remind me of Costa Rica (laughs) and so I just called it home and then I put like a bunch of emojis after it that just look like Costa Rica (laughs) and I was just like that playlist I even listen to it a lot now Mm. but it it's like everything encapsulating about what Costa Rica was to me. Oh my gosh, I would love to hear that playlist. <laughs> I'll send it to <laughs> Sounds you. Sounds dreamy. So you have it to go back. Is. Yes. Wow. So my goal, I knew, I didn't know exactly where I was landing when I first got home. I got a job offer while we were in Ecuador in Manhattan. And so before that, I was going to move to Kansas City and job hunt. Right. Because um, I had some friends to live with there. But then I had the job offer and housing lined up within 24 hours of each other for Manhattan. And so I just really felt like that's where I was supposed to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so the intent in coming home was to get my personal training certification and have this job. And then um, my ultimate goal is to pay all of my student debt off so that I can move to Costa Rica. Wow. <laughs> Oh my So gosh. the goal is to be out of debt so that I can go start this discipleship program. Oh my gosh. The sooner, the sooner my debt is paid off, the better. So you are just going to do the work grind basically to pay off your debt so that yeah. you can go to Costa Rica. Wow. And live there for forever. <laughs> I love that <laughs> so much. I remember hearing you talk about some of these things. But did not realize how serious you were about them. So the fact that it has been a year later. Well, more than that, since you've specifically been to Costa Rica. But they, mm-hmm. a year now that you've been back in America. And to know that that is still what's in the back of your mind. And like at the forefront of your heart and your intentions for the future. You're like, I want to pay off debt and I want to go. Like, Well, and the purpose even with me getting a personal training certification is like, yes, I love weightlifting. And I love helping people get on track with that stuff. But really, my heart behind that is so that I can have clients back in the States while I'm in Costa Rica and still be writing their programming and contacting them, checking in with them. That's cool. Part-time gigs so that I can maybe not have to fundraise to go to Costa Rica. Yeah. Wow. Because I have 
if I had that as a back income along with teaching at the discipleship program, then it would cut, hopefully cut, um, having to fundraise. Yeah, that makes sense. That's honestly really smart. Oh my gosh. The way that (laughs) all of this is just kind of coming full circle is so cool. Ah, that makes me so excited. How old are you again? 31. 31, right. Okay. Man, just the fact that like, I don't know about you, but I feel like the more time that passes, the more that I see things like of the world and like get more experience in work, stuff like that. I just feel like you never know what the heck is going to happen. Not to say that you shouldn't plan anything, but like God always has things around the corner. And like, if you feel like you are stuck somewhere or like, what are you doing with your life? Or this doesn't make sense right now or whatever it is. There's just always something else. There's always more of God. And I think there's just, you never know what's going to happen in your own life. So like, don't be so set in your ways or be set on an idea that you have for the future. And it seems like your life is a testament to that. Well, and what's so wild too, is like, I almost didn't launch in October. Right. I almost launched in August because I really wanted to go to Cambodia and Thailand. And that was the only route that was doing both. Wow. But... I watched the route reveal webinar or whatever for our route. Mm -hmm. And as soon as Costa Rica came up on our route, I was like, I'm supposed to go to this route. Oh my gosh. And I was like, I mean, I've wanted to go to Costa Rica for years, but I was like, why Costa Rica? Sure. You're like, oh, it's beautiful beaches and tourist destination. It just sounds great. And I'm like, you're on the side of a mountain. Slept in my hammock for the entire month. That's so good. That's really beautiful too to know that like it wasn't something else obstructing like your view of the month. Like it's not because you are in some beautiful resort on vacation, like at one of their stunning beaches. Like you are actually living a, you know, a kind of rougher environment or whatever. Like you were just out there. You were out there and you still loved it that much. I think that says a lot. Okay. Well, I appreciate you a lot. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Of course, Morgie. My friend Victoria, what a gal. Special thanks to her for helping me with that recording. And I do truly hope that you enjoyed our conversation. And I'll see you the next time. Goodbye.